0: hello there and welcome again to another edition of the international intrigue audio newsletter this is where we read our main stories from this week's newsletter so that you can listen to them rather than read them as always we've got two incredible stories and i know i say that every week but it is true our first story takes a look at the tanzanian megaport that chinese investment is trying to get off the ground what does it mean for east africa and our second story takes a look at Admittedly, pretty sketchy rumours that a top Chinese spy catcher defected to the US earlier this year. We'll take a look at the broader context of defections. One last thing this week we're a little bit late, about 12 hours, so our apologies. We had some serious technical difficulties this week. My microphone just wasn't cooperating, and Helen is travelling on the road. So we managed to get it together for you eventually, but you'll have to bear with us with the lateness and some sound quality issues. We'll be back to normal next week. Okay, without further ado, on to the first story.
1: Tanzania, Belt and Road and the Bugamoyo Port. When Chinese Chairman-in-Perpetuity President Xi Jinping embarked on his inaugural overseas trip back in March 2013, officially branded as the world dream, where do you think he visited first? If you guessed Moscow, Russia, you're right. Ten points to Gryffindor. And if you guessed that his Moscow agenda was indulging in a vodka versus Bajor drink off of Comrade Vlad, you're right again. As thrilling as that exchange surely was, it's actually where C travelled to second that's more intriguing, Tanzania in Eastern Africa. What might C have been seeking for there? A few things come to mind. 1. Grammable beaches that are blissfully influencer-free and cow-friendly. 2. Equally grammable architecture, including towns built from a coral stone. And 3. A leader, in this case former Tanzanian president, Jakaya Kiweti, who's really into epic infrastructure projects funded by China under its Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI. It was definitely not the first two reasons, judging by C's mediocre and laughably dubious Insta account the on-again, off-again deal. It would be like selling Tanzania to China, said the former Tanzanian president, John Mugafulu, who was kikwete's successor. Xi's 2013 World Dream Tour was indeed dreamy for China. One of China's many wins from the trip was a $10 billion deal with Tanzania to build a shipping port in Bagamoyo, which is a fishing town about 75 kilometers north of the country's capital, Dar es Salaam. The high-profile deal was looking solid until Tanzania shelved the idea after much back and forth in late 2019. Tanzania argued that the deal's exploitative and awkward terms, which includes a 99-year lease, a la Hong Kong's lease to the UK, ceded too much control to China. But just last week, new-ish Tanzanian President Hassana announced that China and Tanzania resumed negotiations to revive the whole port project. This deal – could enhance Tanzania's power in East Africa, and be a big win for China if it goes forward. As an aside, President Hassana recently succeeded COVID-19 denier President Mugafulu after he died of COVID-19-like symptoms. The Bagamoyo Port Project Here's a quick background around the planned project. Where? Bagamoyo is transformed into Africa's Dubai. It will become Africa's largest deep water and container port, handling 20 million containers a year, dwarfing Mombasa port in nearby Kenya. And within 10 years, it will be even bigger and busier than Dutch shipping hub Rotterdam. What? A new port, plus new rail and road routes into the country, i.e. to lucrative oil and gas fields, that will turn Bagamoyo into a trade and manufacturing hub. The project will also establish Bagamoyo as a special economic zone modelled on Shenzhen in China. Who's funding it? China's Merchants Holding International, a partly state-owned port conglomerate, will fund 80% of the project. Oman's Sovereign Wealth Fund, the State General Reserve Fund, will stump up the remaining 20%. The case four. Supporters of the port project argue it will create an industrial revolution in a mainly rural country where about 70% of the population live below the poverty line. The IMF estimates this deal will boost Tanzania's GDP growth rate to about 6.1% by 2022. And the case against. As a BRI flagship project, the Bagamoyo port, we built and operated solely by Chinese stakeholders. That makes a project a quote unquote debt trap that fails to inject skills or money into the local economy. And that's on brand with criticisms levelled at other BRI projects. Key takeaways China will only continue to increase and entrench its commercial and military presence in Africa. According to the Centre for Strategic and International Studies, about 17% of the 172 sub-Saharan ports have taken Chinese investment. Commercially, this guarantees secure Chinese shipping routes, and militarily, this lets China fight wars further away from home, for example, from China's naval base in Djibouti. But could China's softened negotiating stance represent a BRI 2.0? Clearly, the marketing department has told Chinese officials to drop in buzzwords such as interest free loans, sustainable development, and partnership in official comms. Might this easing of terms be enough to persuade sceptical countries to re engage with China after its initial BRI backlash? And lastly, let's not forget about Oman, once the patron of Tanzania's main island, Zanzibar. The Bagameo port deal will give Oman a foothold in Eastern Africa once again, meaning commercial influence in a fast growing region. Whichever way this deal goes, China will definitely continue expanding its influence in Eastern Africa. Perhaps President Xi may get the chance to snap some choice Tanzanian content for his gram after all.
0: Did a Chinese spy catcher defect to the US in February? Look, probably not. There you go, the answer right up front because we respect your time. But it is still a fascinating story, and I did say, probably not. China's spycatcher. Rumors have emerged over the past few weeks that Vice Minister for State Security Dong defected to America in February. And no, there will be no teenage boy-style jokes here, so just put that out of your mind right now. Dong Jingwei had not been seen in public since September 2020, fueling gossip that the CIA was debriefing him until he reappeared on 24 June. The Chinese Ministry of State, the MSS, is roughly the equivalent of the FBI or MI5. Among other functions, the MSS catches foreign spies operating in China. So that means that as Vice Minister of the MSS, Dong is, or was, responsible for all counterintelligence within China, i.e. the country's top spy catcher. He would be the highest ranking Chinese defector in history. According to the rumours, Dong has been providing evidence to the US that COVID 19 emerged from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Dong's intelligence reportedly changed Biden's mind on the origins of COVID 19. Again, this is all speculation, but as the kids say, huge if true. Why defect? Let's pause for a second. Why would someone at the very top of the powerful Chinese bureaucracy, or indeed anyone, defect? And here we've got a table of the examples of factors influencing defections from a British government unclassified document. Okay, let's put that in plain English via the medium of spy stories and notorious defectors. Ideology Two very famous defectors, Oleg Gordievsky, who defected to the UK in 1985, and Edward Snowden, who defected to Russia in 2013, were both ideologically motivated. Money. Arguably the worst trader in US history, Aldrich Ames, sold a huge amount of top-secret information to the Soviets between 1985 and 1994. Why? Because he felt he was underpaid and wanted to buy his new wife expensive gifts. Spycraft. Famous Soviet defector Vitaly Yurchenko defected to the West in 1985. He told the U.S. all manner of secrets and then seemingly defected right back to the USSR three months later. Was he a KGB dangle or just a troubled chap? And lastly, persecution. Many North Korean defectors tell stories of horrific hardship and even torture. According to one defector quoted in The Economist, this is no paradise, but it is better than hell. So what do the U.S. and Chinese governments have to say about all this? A former Chinese foreign ministry official tweeted in early June that top Chinese diplomat Yang Jiechi told U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken to repatriate Dong during their meeting in Alaska in March. The U.S. government has explicitly denied this. We can't confirm or deny where Dong is exactly, the U.S. official said. Asked why the Biden administration was reaching out to knock down rumors of a high-level defection, normally a ultra-sensitive issue, the official said that that's more of a policy question and referred Spy Talk to the White House. And that comes from a newsletter called SpyTalk.co. The Chinese have also denied the story, and Vice Minister Dong finally reappeared at a high-level meeting in Shanghai on 23 or 24 June. So, did Dong Jingwei defect? If you've been reading International Intrigue, you know that we love to pose questions and then tell you that no one knows the answer. We delight in making you sit with uncertainty. So here are the reasons that, yes, he did. President Xi's anti-corruption drive is scary AF. It's already claimed the careers and freedom of some very high-ranking Chinese security officials, including Zhou Yongkang and former minister for public security at Ma Jian. Both are serving life sentences. President Xi undoubtedly has internal enemies. We don't really know much about the internal politics of China, but even if Dong wasn't corrupt, he may have sensed he was in the firing line and tried to escape before he too rotted in jail the US denial could indicate that a very high-level deal was done to send Dong back to China. And there's some weak circumstantial evidence that the official CCP propaganda has been pushing the lesson that true Chinese patriots never defect, no matter the circumstance. I told you it was weak. Here are the reasons that he didn't. Defections are pretty rare. Life is miserable for defectors, even if they're welcomed by the other country. Russia has brutally pursued traitors, And there are reports that China hunted down a defector in 1987 and drowned him, though whether that is actually true is anyone's guess. This was totally conducted by an untrustworthy media. Officials in China commonly disappear. Sometimes it's a sign that someone is under investigation for serious corruption, or sometimes it's because they've been tasked with a very important and sensitive mission. And the last reason is the US denial, while unusual, is probably true. It's unlikely officials would make those comments while still having Dong in US custody they might see this fake news as a potential problem for an already troubled relationship. Well, does it even matter? Look, it's tempting to think that this is all diplomats and spies playing handbags at five paces. But defections and counterintelligence can have huge impacts. For example, scientific breakthroughs. Towards the end of World War II, the US launched Operation Paperclip, which brought 1,600 Nazi scientists to the US. One of them, Werner von Braun, developed the first ballistic missiles. And in defense, uncovering enemy capabilities or plans can shorten wars, save lives, and even deter attacks. While Mao Zedong was planning to invade Taiwan in the 1950s, his chief spy in Taipei was caught and defected, arguably causing the invasion to be postponed. The danger to us is speculation. Even though the truth about whether Dong defected does matter, pure speculation on the subject does not. And yes, I have just written 600 words on something that I am now saying doesn't matter. I work in mysterious and some say inefficient ways. Look, the point is that people use these kinds of events, events shrouded in mystery and doubt, as a framework upon which to erect their own view of the world. They know that the truth will likely never emerge, which means they can never be proven wrong. So for example, every defection from the Soviet Union was evidence that folks were just yearning for freedom. And every defection from North Korea is a sign of the imminent collapse of the Kim dynasty. Now, of course, the reality was and is far more complex. So the risk now is that those who benefit from sensational speculation are gearing up to do it again. Here we've got a headline from Newsmax which says, rumored defection could topple Communist Party. Uh, And it's a Newsmax headline, and I do not feel good about quoting that to you, but here we are. Look, simply put, We should be very sceptical when the inevitable charlatans arrive and begin spinning unknowable truths into broad claims about the future. They always show up at the same time, and they're always selling something you don't want to buy. There you have it for yet another week. I told you you'd enjoy them. No housekeeping to mention this week, but please do rate and subscribe this podcast if you like it. You can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and just give us a nice review in five stars so that other people can find it. I don't understand how the algorithms work, but we're told that's how they work. We'd be very appreciative. And of course, if you have any feedback for us, don't hesitate to get in touch by replying to the email directly. And you can see the email in the show notes or tweeting us at INT intrigue. That's at int intrigue on Twitter. Until next week,